The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon because no one else would take the job. My company, Bannon Communication Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. Mondays on Deadline DC, I talk to the people and players behind the politics and policies that drive our great nation forward. We've got a really big show for you today. Uh, In the first half hour, our guest is Mika Solna, uh, excuse my Boston accent there, uh, who is a congressional reporter for the Washington Times. Uh, In the second half hour, our guest is Kimberly Clark, who is the publisher uh, of Demlist. And uh, behind the scenes today, we have our good friend and intrepid executive producer, Mark Grimaldi, uh, who keeps the trains running on time and the show running online. Uh, We're going to start off the show today with a clip Uh, from uh, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene telling us that the Board of Capital coup on January 6th would have been a lot worse if she had been in charge. I come to Washington, I swear in on January 3rd, I get accused of giving insurrection tours, which I thought was hilarious because I couldn't even find the bathroom in the Capitol. True story. Then January 6th happens, and next thing you know, I organized the whole thing along with Steve Bannon here. Uh, that was so that if Steve Bannon and I had organized that, we would have won. Not to mention, it would have been hard. I'm stepping over the clip again, aren't I? Okay. Uh, Okay, that was Marjorie Taylor Greene talking about uh, how things would have been different if she had been running the Capitol coup. Uh, Later, she said uh, her uh, statement about bringing guns to the uh, Capitol coup was sarcasm. Uh, And by the way, uh, her uh, comrade in arms, Stephen Bannon, uh, is the black sheep of my family. That was sarcasm. Okay, anyway, uh, let's roll with the show. Our guest in this half hour is Mika Solner, who is the congressional reporter for the Washington Times. Mika, welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Thanks for coming again. Thanks for having me on, Brad. Okay, well, I heard this clip from Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, and my first thought after being completely shocked, and I shouldn't be anymore uh, after all this, is how is uh, Kevin McCarthy, the uh, heir apparent uh, Speaker of the House of Representatives, going to manage Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, and the rest of the Freedom Caucus? 
Yeah, um, well, that's a great question. So, I mean, we are seeing, uh, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene has really stepped away a little bit from some of the comments that she's made in the past. Um, Kevin McCarthy is going to have to be receptive to her because she right now is supporting him, um, you know, which, you know, a lot of people thought wouldn't be the case. Uh, given some of her history and some of her ties to a little bit more of the right of the party. Um, you know, I mean, you see things like the clip that you just showed, and it shows that, you know, he's probably going to have to walk a fine line there in between condemning some of the things that she says and does and others in the, in the conference, um, but also being able to unify the party, which is a big concern right now, as we're seeing, um, you know, at least five Republicans, uh, you know, a, a allege their um, independence from McCarthy and, and swear not to uh, support him as speaker. And so that poses a huge challenge for him in a narrow majority. Okay, let me ask you uh, this question. Uh, there's been a lot of talk uh, and comment about the battle that uh, Kevin McCarthy faces uh, getting uh, becoming speaker because uh, there are several prominent, uh, very conservative members of the Republican House caucus who are pointedly not supporting his bid. Uh, so my question to you is, is uh, Kevin McCarthy's election as speaker a done deal or is there going to be a lot of drama behind it or both? I think we can definitely expect to see a lot of drama uh, happening in the next month or so. Um, it doesn't look like McCarthy has the 218 votes needed to secure the speakership. Um, I know that he's working hard to rally members against him, um, and he's got some good support from, uh, you know, leaders within the GOP conference. Um, you know, we just mentioned Marjorie Taylor Greene, but he's also got Jim Jordan, who is floated by uh, some of the, his defectors as being a potential alternative to him. He's got Steve Scalise on his side. So the people that would be able to challenge him, you know, really aren't rising up. So we're really only seeing uh, five you know, more conservative members um, in this kind of never Kevin anti-McCarthy group. Um, but, you know, there are some people uh, in, you know, circles of, you know, some of the more right wing members saying that, you know, there's no way that McCarthy is going to be able to be speaker given his math problem at the moment. So I think we're going to see and I know that he's willing to go um, and have multiple votes to hopefully get people to change their mind. Okay. You know, I heard uh, one comment which I sort of chuckled at. Maybe I shouldn't, but I laugh at a lot of things I probably shouldn't. Uh, I heard that uh, that uh, Democrats might uh, try to reach out to the moderates in the GOP House caucus. And I thought to myself, are there any moderates in the GOP House caucus? And do they have any power uh, to rein in uh, the uh, Jim Jordans and Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world? First of all, do they exist or are they extinct? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely seeing, and we saw like Fred Upton, for example, floated as a potential um, alternative to Kevin McCarthy, which, you know, is highly unlikely. He was one of the 10 who voted to impeach uh, former President Donald Trump um, back in January, over January 6th. Uh, last year. And, um, you know, there, there's definitely a few moderates in the Republican Party. I don't think any of them would switch over and vote for a Democrat uh, and commit political suicide like that. Um, but I do think that, you know, there's a lot of probably behind the scenes outreach that could be happening, um, you know, that they might not say. But I think that, uh, 
you know, I don't think that's a, a very broad possibility, but it's definitely one that Republicans are saying, um, you know, in hopes of saying, if you can't get behind McCarthy, there's no alternative. And then you're ultimately giving Democrats power. Okay, uh, let's try this. Uh, assuming uh, that uh, Kevin McCarthy uh, does become speaker, uh, wh- uh, what are we going to see uh, as the priorities of the GOP House Caucus uh, when they take over uh, in January? Uh, are we going to be hearing mostly about, uh, you know, the other day, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene called again uh, for impeachment of President Biden uh, because of the uh, prisoner swap with the Russians. Uh, uh, Jim Jordan, I think, is going to be chair of the Judiciary Committee. Is that true? That's right. Um, We're going to be seeing a lot of investigations on um, behalf of the Republican conference, and they've laid out their plans already. Um, Jordan, like you said, will be in charge of judiciary. So that obviously has jurisdiction over any impeachment efforts that Republicans might make. Now, McCarthy has gone back and forth on uh, you know, whether he wants to pursue those. I mean, that's been one of the grievances of the kind of the five hard right Republicans that, you know, have taken issue with him. Um, we're also going to see investigations into Hunter Biden um, and, you know, his ties to uh, U.S. adversaries and how that impacts, you know, potentially impacts the White House, um, you know, as well as COVID, Dr. Fauci, some of the um, main uh, concerns that Republicans have raised in, in recent years. Okay. Uh, one more question uh, before we go to a break for our radio listeners: uh, Are we going to are we going to see uh, any are we going to see any impeachment moves, or is that just uh, you know people in a caucus blowing off steam? There's definitely people within um, the conference that really wants to move aggressively on impeachment, and I think the most likely target would be uh, Secretary Mayorkas over the border. I know the border has been a huge um, issue that Republicans have been talking about and used as a midterm uh, uh, issue, especially in you know more neighboring states to the southern border. So, if anyone, I know that they're really aggressively going after him, and that's one uh, you know administration official that McCarthy has kind of you know, weighed in on a little bit. And I know um, Jordan's weighed in on him. And then Andy Biggs has been really aggressively trying to lobby people that and this is, you know, that needs to be done. And I actually had a conversation with him a couple of weeks ago where he said he thinks that Republicans having the power for two years and not going after Mayorkas and impeaching him would be a waste. Okay. Okay. We're going to take a very short break uh, for our radio listeners. Uh, if you're watching us on Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube, Don't go anywhere because uh, we will be uh, continuing. Uh, But for radio listeners, just hang on and we'll be back with you in a couple of minutes with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest in this half hour is Mika Solner, who is congressional correspondent uh, for the Washington Times. Uh, Welcome back to our radio listeners. If you would like to uh, watch us as well as listen to us, uh, you can watch us at twitter.com front slash Brad Bannon or on facebook.com. Uh, front slash deadline DC with Brad Bannon front slash videos. 
Okay, uh, we're talking uh, uh, to Mika Solner from uh, the Washington Times. Uh, I want to turn to uh, Donald Trump. Uh, the other big news from last week, there was a lot of big news last week, uh, was Raphael Warnick uh, won the uh, runoff election in Georgia over his Republican opponent, uh, Herschel Walker. Uh, why do Republicans think they lost that race? Well, a lot of Republicans are crediting it to, you know, thinking that maybe Herschel Walker wasn't the strongest candidate to pick um, against Warnock, who seems to be kind of on the rise for Democrats. Um, you know, there are a few controversies surrounding um, uh, Walker, uh, you know, with the uh, abortion issue, as well as some other comments that he had made. Um, his ties to Donald Trump probably like didn't help uh, given the kind of record that the former president has had in the midterms with the candidates that he's endorsed. So I think that there are a lot of factors that kind of, you know, made the race a little bit uh, more successful for Warnock. Um, and so I think we're seeing that, especially given kind of his, um, you know, previous time in the Senate too, he's been able to, I think he's been up four times for reelection since he's been in, which hasn't been very long and he's been able to, uh, you know, win all of them. Okay. Uh, in uh, reaction to uh, Warnick's victory and uh, Walker's defeat, uh, several, uh, at least a few GOP senators uh, came to the conclusion and said openly uh, they thought Donald Trump uh, was responsible for uh, Walker's defeat. I think you're right. I think it's more complicated than that, but I think Trump's did play a role in uh, Walker's defeat. Uh, I admit Romney, for example, came out, it's not surprising, he's always been uh, antagonistic towards Donald Trump, uh, said that uh, Trump is a big problem for the GOP. And Romney said, when, uh, as far as to say that he would not vote for Trump in 2024 if he was a GOP nominee, uh, seems to me a few other Republican senators made kind of snide comments about Trump. Uh, there seems to be a big division between GOP elites and how they feel about Trump and GOP rank and file. Uh, if you look at uh, Trump's support among rank and file Republican primary voters, it still seems to be pretty strong. Uh, but there seem to be a lot of Republicans, uh, especially in the Senate, including Mitch McConnell, who are very critical. Uh, how is this, you know, how is this going to play out? Do you think in terms of 2024? Yeah, that's the key question there is I think, uh, you know, we're going to see a lot of Trump fatigue from, um, you know, a lot of the members, especially after the midterm results and how unsuccessful a lot of his endorsements were. Um, that said, uh, Trump still has a lot of support from his his key base. But, you know, there's been other issues where he's going after other successful Republicans like Ron DeSantis uh, in Florida and then Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. And that might be something that turns off his base and might, you know, kind of ebb away at some of his supporters there, too. So I think it's just a matter of how he kind of can um, handle himself in the next uh, two years or so, but also just, you know, who get, gets into the ring, who could potentially primary him. So I personally don't necessarily think it could be um, in the bag for Trump, kind of given the climate and the atmosphere and just kind of this like post era. And you mentioned Mitt Romney's comments. Um, again, I agree with you and not surprising, but we also saw people come out after the midterms, someone like Virginia Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears, who, you know, is a very conservative woman. She's not an anti-Trump 
you know, person by any means, but she also said that she thinks that it's time to move on. Um, so I think that was very telling as well. Okay. Well, l- let me ask you the, uh, the question in a more general way. Uh, why do Republicans in Washington think they did not do as well? There was certainly no red wave as most Republicans, and I think a lot of Democrats expected. Uh, why do Republicans think they fell short of their goals? Is it, uh, you know, they blame Trump or they're, you know, something about the campaigns they run or whatever? Yeah, I, and I think there there was definitely some blame to Trump and just that, you know, maybe the party has moved a little bit more to the right and people are a little bit exhausted about you know, some of the things tied to the former president. Um, the other aspect was abortion was definitely a higher issue. And that's something that I've heard from, you know, Republicans as well, saying that that was an issue that definitely knocked some people out. Uh, I talked to Ohio Representative Steve Shabbat, who obviously lost his, um, uh, you know, lost his seat after serving, I think, for t- almost 20 years in Congress. And he said, uh, you know, abortion definitely played a huge role in his race um, and his defeat. And, um, you know, I think that was an issue that Republicans maybe tried to back away from. We saw them, you know, not trying to use that as much, but Democrats really hammered it in, that they were extreme on that issue. But also just the fact that this is a year that Roe versus Wade was overturned was huge. And I think it made a huge uh, impact in the midterms. Uh, Well, uh, the short answer is it did uh, have a big impact. In fact, uh, if you look at the national election date poll, uh, almost as many people said they voted because of their position on abortion as did uh, who said they were concerned about inflation. And so I guess my question to you uh, is how do how does the GOP back away from what is, you know, it seems to me a fundamental part of uh, the reason for support from the Republican base? Can they do that? Well, I don't. I think that puts them in a really tough position for them to back away. I think that, uh, you know, introducing legislation like, you know, Lindsey Graham trying to impose a six week abortion ban, that's not going to be popular with a lot of people who are a little bit more moderate on that issue. And just in general, Um, we're also see we also saw um, a really strong youth vote turnout, which I don't think I mentioned before, but, you know, they tend to be a little bit more uh, progressive um, and to the left of even the Democratic Party. So and they're becoming increasingly active in politics. So that's not going to win any uh, younger voters as well. So I think it's very hard for uh, Republicans to try and break away from some of their cultural um, norms because that's what their electorate wants. And a lot of the electorate, that's an issue by issue vote. So, you know, if someone is yeah, anti-abortion, then they're not going to, you know, uh, they're going to carry that with them when they vote. Okay. Um, how difficult a time do you think uh, Donald Trump will have uh, winning the GOP presidential nomination in 2024? I mean, is Ron DeSantis a serious threat to Trump? I think Trump views Ron DeSantis as a threat, and that's, uh, you know, why some of the reasons why he might be going after him. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that kind of speculate that, you know, DeSantis could actually beat Trump. But I think it's a matter of whether he decides to run. And, you know, it's going to take a lot to go up after Trump, who still, like I said, remains very popular in a lot of his base um, and, you know, is willing to go after anyone that challenges him as well. OK. OK. Uh, I want to thank uh, Mika Solner, who is congressional correspondent for The Washington Times, uh, for joining us today. Uh, We still have another half hour of Deadline DC. 
with Brad Bannon to go. Our guest in the second half hour will be Kimberly Scott, the publisher of Demlist. We'll be right back with more of Deadline DC right after these messages.
and that's why we asked uh, Kim here uh, to uh, discuss the DNC rule changes. Uh, Demlist is the go-to place for knowledge about democratic policies and po politics and policies. Kim, welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Great, great to have you on. I see you get Christmas decorations on. Yes, of course. All in Good. Okay, let's start. Uh, the One of the big news items last week, and I'm always in favor of big news items because it gives us stuff to talk about on Deadline DC, uh, was the Democratic National Committee's decision uh, to rearrange uh, the uh, nomination schedule leading up to the 2024 presidential election. Uh, first of all, I want you to tell our viewers and listeners what the Democratic National Committee did. Under current DNC rules, um, no state can hold a primary before the first Tuesday in March. That has traditionally been Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. In April, the DNC decided they were going to exercise or implement a new review process that prioritizes battleground states and also diversity, ethnic, geographic, union representation in the states. This, of course, upended Iowa's coveted first-in-the-nation caucus status, which it's held for five decades. Uh, but... There's reasons for this. Uh, you know, Iowa is 89% white. It has 6.5 union membership. Uh, it awarded Trump an eight-point victory in 2020. Uh, and it's and that was also amidst a terrible tabulation, technical tabulation debacle. Oh, I remember that. That was horrible. Oh. Um, they'll never live that down. We didn't find out who won the caucus until Many later on. Uh, but it's also one of the last caucuses, you know, so primaries are uh, elections that are actually run by state and local governments. A caucus is a meeting, essentially. It's a very antiquated way of doing things. It disadvantages working people who can't be there on that one night, uh, handicapped people. Uh, and it's, it's a private, I mean, a public forum for debate, and that it's positive. But, you know, last cy presidential cycle, caucuses, like 12 additional states went from caucuses to primary. It's basically Iowa, Wyoming, and three territories that are left. And so this is something that people have been advocating for a long time to dispense with the, um, the caucuses. And have all states run by a primary and something that was advocated by Biden itself himself, which pretty much nailed the, put the nail in the coffin for Iowa. Okay. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, the folks uh, in New Hampshire, especially were very upset. Um, I've uh, seen both uh, Democratic U.S. senators uh, on TV talking about the rule change, and they're hopping mad. Uh, and uh, the New Hampshire argument, I guess, is that it's a small state. Uh, it allows uh, for a relatively unknown candidate. Uh, to, uh, you know, have a chance at, uh, you know, building up some momentum through the nomination process. Uh, you know, what, what, uh, well, first of all, uh, I believe 
um, I'm not sure about this, but I believe it is New Hampshire state law that they have the first presidential primary in the nation. Um, <laughs> and unless they change the law, there's going to be big, big trouble. Uh, and what is the penalty for New Hampshire and Iowa just for ignoring the DNC? Well, the DNC also um, increased the penalty power um, of states that go ahead in line of the established primary, early primary window, um, and in that they can automatically lose half their delegates. The same is for candidates that campaign in unsanctioned states. They also have penalties. So that might be um, lack of access to data, uh, lack of of access to debates. Um, Okay. We're going to take a short break here, Kim, so we can uh, let our uh, uh, radio listeners have a small break, but we'll be staying on video. Our guest is Kimberly Scott, the publisher of Demlist, and this is Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back with our radio listeners in a couple of minutes, and we're hanging on with our video viewers. Welcome back to Den- Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, we're talking presidential politics, which I guess we'll be doing a lot in the next two years. Uh, our guest in this half hour is Kimberly Scott, the publisher of Demlist, uh, which is the go-to site for news about the Democratic Party, politics, and policy. What's the website for uh, Demlist, by the way, Kim? www.demlist.com and you can sign up there to get my daily column which is followed nationally in every state and 50 countries uh, and, and it's a private list it's not sold okay great uh, I encourage I I uh, see uh, I read deadline DC every day so and I suggest uh, you all do too okay back to presidential politics here uh, one of the best arguments that I've heard, uh, for South Carolina um, is that now that it's going to be at the head of the pack, uh, it gives African-American voters uh, a bigger voice in the primary process. And there's good reason for doing that. If you look at the exit polls from the 2022 midterms or the 2020 presidential candidate campaign are going back, uh, African-American voters uh, always are the biggest single supporter of Democratic uh, candidate for president, governor, House, Senate, and everything else, probably. Uh, so this is an opportunity to, uh, to recognize African-American voters, isn't it? Yes, they said they are essentially the backbone of the, of the party. Um, and it's, it's something Biden advocated for, as she said, the you know, giving voters of color uh, a more prominent place um, in this process and in the party. Uh, going back to South Carolina again, I think that with South Carolina South Carolina up front, then I don't think there's any question that Joe Biden at least believes that he is running for re-election. Okay, okay. 
Uh, one last thing about this before we uh, move on. Do you think there's going to be a lot of drama about this change, or is it everybody going to, you know, including Iowa and New Hampshire, going to accept it? No, there will definitely be drama, but it is politics. Yeah, um, it is. They have. What would politics be without drama? There's also a chance that there's state laws, as we discussed earlier, like New Hampshire, I mean, may prevent that. There are challenges ahead regardless of the politics themselves. So New Hampshire has a state law, I mean, state in its constitution that they are the, the first primary in the country. So they have to get back through that. Um all good way around that, by the way, is for New Hampshire. I don't know if the DNC would go for this, but for one way around this is for New Hampshire to run a beauty contest in the presidential race uh, without uh, awarding dele de delegates based on the vote. Would that be permissible under the D new DNC regs? I don't see how that is based on what you're saying and saying basically, hold, again, jump the line and hold their own. Yeah, it would be a beauty contest with no delegates awarded. Yeah, no, it's still, delegates are still a part of the process. Okay, 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 so much for that idea. Don't, sorry, I, sorry, New Hampshire. But there will be, um, there'll be challenges. They have till January 5th to certify that they can be, um, uh, that they can take their place in line as it is, which, by the way, is for South Carolina, February 3rd, the New Hampshire and Nevada on February 6th, Georgia February 13th, and then Michigan on February 27th. Okay. Um, so, and there's each, each state has a case. I mean, Minnesota's one that was close. Essentially, Michigan took that place. Um, but Georgia and Michigan delivered, they flipped the states in the last presidential, uh, you know, all of these criteria have been carefully considered. Okay, now is probably a good time to change subjects. Uh, we have big changes in politics as a result of the uh, 2022 midterms. Uh, we're probably going to have a Republican speaker, I guess, although they have the Republicans have to get their act straightened out before they can claim the throne. Uh, but uh, we do have new Democratic leadership. Uh, in the House. Uh, Nancy Pelosi uh, will continue as a member of Congress, but she will not be the Democratic leader. Uh, we have a whole new, fresh, younger uh, legislative uh, slate. Uh, let's start with the new Democratic leader, uh, uh, Mr. Jeffries. Uh, tell us about him. So, um, as we did, Pelosi actually cut this deal two terms ago, that she would be leaving the leadership, if not Congress, um, at the end of this year. And so Hawking Jeffries has been, uh, who was the House Democratic Caucus chair for the last four years, he's been groomed for this. Uh, it's, it's difficult to see her go. I mean, there are few, if any, technical or legislative tacticians on her her level in Congress, and um, but they've been preparing for this transition, and and it is a, a dramatic one. I mean, Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, who stepped down, they're in their 80s. Uh, Clyburn, who is still staying in leadership, but is taking a lesser position as an assistant leader. But uh, Jeffries would, uh, won this with 
unanimously by his caucus and has full support of his caucus. Then the others, Catherine Clark. Well, let's uh, let me ask you a question about Jeffries first before mm -hmm. we go on to the rest of the team. Uh, one of the remarkable things about uh, Jeffries, besides the fact that he comes from Brooklyn in New York City, um, is that he will be, I think, uh, the first African-American uh, leader, uh, party leader in the House of Representatives. Yes, he will be the first one. And a, a number of these are first as well. Um, uh, Jeffries is the first African-American. He's only 52 years old. Uh, Catherine Clark, the number two, has been in her, um, just the first previously as assistant leader in, in this position. Uh, Pete Aguilera, Aguilera, um, is the now the highest ranking Hispanic to have been appointed. He's in the number three position. Um, so it is, um, you know, it is the diverse face of representation of America um, that Biden has been looking for. Um, but it is a united caucus, unlike the Republicans. Oh, what a mess. Well, there's no alternative uh, to Kevin McCarthy. And so if there was, you know, we might all have hope, but under any circumstances, it's going to be very difficult for him to legislate. Uh, when you've with. How much of a margin do they have? What, four seats now or. It's something? 213 Democrats, 222 Republicans. And so, you know, which is basically essentially what the Democrats had. And so it's, it's going to be very difficult for him to push forward you know, items on their agenda uh, when the votes are that close. And he's also said he's the only, uh, he is the only one running for this position, but he has got huge factions of the Republican Party that are against him. You know, Freedom Caucus members, there are some that adamantly refuse to vote for him. And so I think he'll eventually get it, but it'll take a few rounds of votes to get to the 218 that they need to, to needs to secure the speakership. Yeah. Uh, any chance of Donald Trump becoming speaker? <laughs> Just kidding. For Marjorie Taylor Greene, that's sarcasm, by the way. Um, anyway, uh, let me ask you this question. Just sort of curious, and we only have a minute. Why Hakeem uh, Jeffries? Why did he, you know, claim the Game of Thrones? He's earned it. I said wow. he's, he's widely respected. Um, he has been working in leadership already, he said, for four years. Uh, and uh, he is he has the full support of the outgoing team. Okay. And what do you think? Is he going to be, how is he, how will he be different as a party leader than Nancy Pelosi? Any ideas? Uh, I think that he has, he's laying out an agenda that is a long-term one. You know, he's gotten some of the experience and maturity to do this. He's coming off of, you know, a cycle that was incredibly, ended up being, doing very well for um, Democrats. And I think that's important to, to take the message forward. I think that um, in the end, democracy prevailed when people thought democracy was under threat. It was one of the largest issues going into the election. Uh, and I think that this is, you know, it's it's a huge win for Democrats, but it's also a huge win for Americans. You know, I think the lessons or the things to watch is how the Republicans move forward. Um, they, you know, they lost at the hands of Donald Trump, uh, who handpicked 
many of these candidates failed miserably. Um, and the lesson they still have yet to learn is- Jim, I'm sorry, that's all the time we have on today's edition of Deadline DC. We hope to see you again after the first of the year. Uh, thanks to our guest, Mika Solner from the Washington Times, Kimberly Scott, the publisher of Demlist, and our intrepid executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. Uh, we'll be talking to you again next Monday. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.